Any trail runner knows that footwear is one of the most important parts of any FKT. Things can go south pretty quickly if you don't have perfect fit and comfort for the long haul, which is why we want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Speedland. They just released their all-new trail footwear with the SL PDX, featuring the highest quality components available today. The upper actually has a fit system that's never been used in a running shoe before. It's the dual BOA LI2 dials that allow for incremental forward and reverse tightening. This is huge because as your foot swells during long efforts, you can loosen the forefoot to accommodate for swelling while the top of the foot remains locked in. Meanwhile, you have an aggressive Michelin outsole to keep you secure and a P-Bax midsole with a Carbitex plate for ultimate responsiveness. There's nothing else like it on the market. Plus, we love that they give back to 10% of all profits to outdoor organizations chosen by their athletes, which is far and away the most we've ever heard of a company giving back. They also have a huge focus on sustainability. Once the SLPDX reaches the end of its life cycle, they'll send you a prepaid label to send back to them where they'll deconstruct it and distribute it to specific recycling facilities. It's pretty much everything you'd want from an outdoor company. Anyway, learn more about them and pick up the SLPDX over at runspeedland.com. We'll put the link in our show notes and don't forget to follow them on Instagram at runspeedland and ask them any questions about the product and how it can work for you. Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast. Every week we have very interesting conversations with some of the fastest people around. And this week, we're not going to talk exactly about the fastest person around. No, it's going to be a little different. We're going to talk about that amazing, long, historic partnership, which we've never talked about in this podcast before. That partnership is with a person and a horse. That's right. We're going to talk Ride and Tie, an amazing event. And to do that, we're speaking with Courtney Kruger of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you. So glad to be here. Well, you are. Tell us us a little bit about your background in Ride and Tie. I think you're the national certifying officer for this particular sport, so you're very credible. So, Fill us in on your experience with Ride and Tie. Sure. So I, I am 54. About 10 years ago, uh, I was running. I, I'd actually just gotten into running, and I was doing a bunch of half marathons. I'd done, I did a marathon and was, was enjoying that. Also, was doing a lot of mountain biking, and my daughter and my wife rode horses, and they were in the endurance horse world, and that is where you ride a horse in a single day, 20, 30, 50, or 100 miles, uh, in a, in a, on a marked course in a race. And I had no interest in riding horses. They took me out a couple of times and I rode and it was just kind of plodding along because I couldn't go fast because I didn't know what I was doing. And so I mountain biked and they rode horses, but when they would train or I would train, we would do it together. We were living near Clemson, South Carolina then. And Clemson University has a great forest that, that has multi-use trails. And so for several years, as my daughter was growing up, we did that. And then when she turned about 14, they discovered the the sport of riding tie, which is uh, another form of endurance horse uh, riding or racing. And this is you have two people and one horse and the people alternate riding and running again over a marked course. And it can be anywhere from an official course has to be at least 20 miles long, but 20, 25, 30, 50 or even 100 miles. Uh, that you you do. And um, my daughter, who was about 14 at the time, came to me and said, Dad, if you will learn to ride, I'll start running and we can be a team. And if your 14 year old daughter says, I want to be on a team with you, there's only one answer. And that is absolutely. And so I learned <laughs> to ride. 
and and we started and we had a great uh, several years and then she went off to college and she hasn't really been into it as much and but then but then I was hooked uh, and so I have had several partners over the years and um, not because I'm fast just because I've I've been to a lot of races but I am a six time a national points champion. And that's kind of like NASCAR, how you get points for starting a race and you get points for completing a race and get points for how many miles you, you, uh, you do, and you get points for, for the number of teams you come in ahead of. And so I've been on a man woman team one year that was uh, Carrie Barris was my partner that year. And we were the national points champion. And then my brother-in-law, we, we've really made it a family affair. My brother-in-law, Mark Landers, he and I have won it five times, uh, in, in um, over the years. Well, Courtney, this to step in here, I you said something a minute ago that was so cool. Yeah, when your 14 year old daughter says she wants to be on a team with you, like you say, there's only one answer. I like that. You had no interest in writing. She says something like that, you say, I'm in, and then she kind of phased out, and you're still, you know, yeah. riding tying. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's some, and, and Ride and Tie has just so totally changed my life. So we're living in Clemson then, and we had a couple of horses that were keeping on friends' property. Now I'm in the Chattanooga area, and we own a ten-acre horse farm, uh, and uh, are just you know, it, I, I can't just ten years ago this was this was just not even on the horizon for me. My whole life has changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, owning a horse. Just owning a horse will do that, of yeah, course. So I could make a joke on that, but I will pass on that. Um, but we'll go over for people who don't know what ride and tie is. Like you said, it goes back forever. The competitive sport only goes back to the early 70s when a PR person for Levi Strauss and Company kind of created it a little bit out of nothing in 1971. But people have been doing this. You know, two people, one horse. But the competitive event, and I should mention they're very competitive, is very interesting. You say go, and one person takes off on the horse, the other person takes off running. The horse is faster, right? Just just going through the basics here so our listeners understand this. And so he's going to jump off that horse at some point and just tie it to a tree, a bush, or whatever. And he's going to start running. And then his partner is going to catch up, jump on the horse, leapfrog him, go riding past him. And you can imagine, listeners, what this looks like. If you think it looks crazy, you would be correct because there's a lot of other people doing this right next to you. This isn't a time trial event. This is a mass start race. <laughs> and so the, ride, the runners leapfrog each other, hopefully at some strategic pattern, you know, so you get maximum uh, efficiency there. And then the first uh, team, and it is very much a team, the finish line wins. And like you say, these are at least 20 miles long. They're always on trails. These aren't on tracks. They're not on roads. So it's uh, it's for a person who likes to get down and dirty. Oh, yeah. We come in plenty dirty. Um, and and we're kind of playing off the fastest known time idea of what they say. I, I don't have any way to prove or disprove it. That the most efficient way to get two people and a horse, you know, over a, a, a fair distance is to do exactly what you do. You ride the horse for a ways and then tie the horse up someplace and then the other one comes behind. And there is the theory that the word hitchhike comes from that from ancient times you would ride the horse and hitch it someplace hitch it to a hitching post or whatever and start walking or start running and uh your hiker comes behind and, and gets on the horse so that's that may be where hitchhike comes from okay 
I appreciate that. So again, this goes way back. This this isn't one of these odd new sports. Like if you look in the Olympics and there's probably 30 sports I've never heard of <laughs> and I don't really want to have heard of them. Ride and tie is not in that category. This is legit. This goes back. It's exciting. It's competitive and it's strategic, isn't it? It's incredibly strategic. You've got to think about your horse's strengths and your runner's strengths and the course. Uh, and, and horses are, are interesting. They are actually a little more, can be faster going uphill where runners are typically slower going uphill. And you want to be a little more careful, particularly if it's pretty rocky headed downhill. Um, and you can imagine if you're flying downhill on a horse and the horse stumbles and falls and rolls, he's going to roll right over on top of you. Uh, and so you, you want to be a little more careful there. It also is much worse on their legs. Of course, it is on our legs, too, really running downhill. You have people talk about how they tear up their knees doing that. Um, and so it's just if you know you got a long, steep climb coming, you may want your better runner to make sure they're on the ground and, and your, your lesser runner on the on the horse. And, and likewise, if you know you're coming back down the, the backside of a mountain or whatever, uh, you may want to kind of plan for that. Um, you have to plan for usually there is at least one vet check in the middle of the race and a vet checks the horse. Nobody checks the runners, but the vet checks the horse and the vet has to certify that the horse is fit to continue or the team gets pulled. And there's a lot of strategy in that. You want to get the horse through that vet check as fast as possible, but his heart rate has to be down um, and, uh, and, and um, has to hit a whole bunch of other criteria. So it may take a little bit to do that. And so you really want your fastest runner to ride the horse into the vet check because the vet check is a mandatory switch. And then they can immediately jump off the horse and run back out and continue on course. And then maybe your, your somewhat weaker runner comes running in behind. And then, then when the horse gets to the vet check, you go catch, catch your runner as well. Wow. Right. So uh, listeners can try to run this through in their own minds and see how tactical this is going to be. Because like you say, a horse can motor going up, but a good runner can actually run down a technical trail faster than a horse. Exactly. So like, when do you make the change? Like mm -hmm. how far do you run ahead, et cetera, et cetera. And in a 20 mile plus race, it's become very interesting. And then you throw in the vet check part. Just to take a quick pause here, vet checks, weren't a thing in running ever, ever, ever <laughs> until 100-mile trail races. Mm. And they evolved directly out of endurance riding. The Tevis Cup, of course, is the Western States 100. That's why it's called the mm -hmm. Western States 100. That was a horse race. Uh, and the very first 100-mile trail race, I should say running trail race, because there's 100-mile riding trail races. And so that vet check, so to speak, the uh, medical check, we call it nowadays, not a vet check, although kind of looks a little similar, mm -hmm. uh, evolved directly out of horses. And so going forward, your tactics are remarkable because you get, you know, timed out five minutes. You got to wait five minutes. That's five, that's a tough, mm -hmm. you know time to wait. So you've got to bring that horse in there with their temperature and heart rate below a certain level. And, and the level, you, you, the, the vet check will usually be around 12 or 15 miles in and, uh, and their heart rate needs to be around usually either 60 or 64 beats a minute. Uh, I can assure you if I've just run in from 12 or 15 miles, I, my heart rate's not going to be there. I'm glad they're not checking me on that one. 
uh, for sure. Uh, but yeah, there's tons <laughs> of strategy and the strategy isn't only there, but, but as you mentioned out on the course, you're constantly uh, talking with your partner. And one of the things I just love about Ride and Tie is it is this amazing partnership, not just between two people, but two people and, and an animal. And, and all three almost become equal partners in, in, in some ways. Uh, and the horse even sometimes makes decisions. Uh, it's they, they learn Ride and Tie so fast and they understand it. And our horses will go, we usually go about a half a mile between ties and, uh, and our, my horses can kind of gauge when they've gotten about a half mile or maybe when they're just tired and ready to quit. But they will sometimes just kind of stop and turn and put their head up next to a tree like tie me right here. Um, and, and oftentimes I will that uh, they, they pick out the tree and, and we do it. Uh, uh, when Ride and Tie started back in, in 1970, uh, and as you said, Bud Johns was a PR guy with Levi Strauss and Levi's was looking for a. Uh, a signature sport that they could sponsor and and Bud had been playing with his idea for a while and so he pitched it to them and they kind of created the race. Uh, back then they were bringing in Olympic uh, level uh, uh, riders and Olympic level endurance runners and and they would go a whole lot farther between the the ties. The runner would just run and run and run and and, and uh, maybe go uh, three, five, even maybe ten miles between ties. Um, since then we've kind of switched and, and to make it to really focus on the idea that ride and tie is a very efficient way of, of moving two people and a, and a horse. Um, and it sounds inefficient, but, but if we switch every half mile or so, it keeps the runner's legs fresh because you're going to rest a little bit when you're on the horse and it keeps the horse's legs fresh. And so the horse gets, because it, it gets to rest when it's tied there to the tree. Uh, and, um, it, it's just amazing how that kind of increases the endurance. And I always feel like as long as I know one, at least one member of the team is still moving forward, you know, as a team, we're still moving forward. Right. Right. I think this is really fascinating. Um, as it happens, I know people who participate in ride and tie. I know one of the national champions, in fact, and my, uh, wife is quite familiar. You used to help train the horses and you used to help crew at some of the ride and tie events back in the seventies and the eighties when they were more centered out West. Mm -hmm. And she told me about a family named the Wadsworths who, according to her, changed the whole sport up until that time. Like you said, people would just go for a long time. It's a little confusing, a little more rough and tumble, but according to her, the Wadsworths introduced a much greater degree of tactics and science into it. So they started doing these really quick changes, as you said. So the runner stays more rested and they can go faster. They started bringing little garden sprayers full of ice cold water so they could hose down the horse to get their temperature down. Well, no one else had really thought of that. And they changed the gear. So the endurance gear changed because if you're doing ride and tie, leather is just not so much a thing. I mean, you're wearing these skimpy little running shorts and you got this le stiff leather saddle. It's like, hmm, yeah, <laughs> it's going to present. You think you got some chafing before. Yeah. Well, this is not going to be a good look or a good feel. And so they changed the gear dramatically. And so it's it evolved the endurance riding and riding tie sport as well. Yeah, our saddles typically are, are synthetic, and even the the reins and the other tack are oftentimes biothane, which is a a, a, um, a, a polymer or some kind of a rubbery kind of polymer. Um, and then there's two different ways that people uh, what they wear for 
for the people. Uh, I tend to use a pair of very thin riding tights that have some patches on the inside of the knees and down on the on my calves, uh, and I but th but they're thin enough that it's not not too hot. But a lot of people do ride in shorts. They just have a fleece. Uh, use a synthetic fleece, uh, a cover over the saddle that runs all the way down to the stirrups so that they're not getting getting chafed. I was in a race one time in, um, it was here in Tennessee, and uh, my daughter and I were really pushing this other team, really, really fighting with them for, for the uh, position, and they started chafing. It was this couple of guys, and they just weren't <laughs> wearing the right things. And and it was funny because toward the end of the race, we ended up beating them. I guess I need to get that in there. But toward the end of the race, they were fighting kind of with each other about who had to ride the horse because it would hurt so bad <laughs> to ride the horse. And when you're fighting over who has to ride the horse, something has gone wrong. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think if our listeners are major runners and sometimes ultra runners, so chafing is a well-known phenomenon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, riding a stiff leather saddle with a horse galloping and you're bouncing up and down, it, does, it doesn't leave that much to the imagination, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, boy, the tactics of this are so interesting to think about and thinking so how many teams would be in one race? Well, that just so depends. Uh, way back when, the Levi's, when they started it, and this think this is 1970, the, the purse was around $2,500, I think, which was real money back then. Not that it isn't now. And they actually would double the purse if you did the whole race in Levi's. Uh, and that and that was way back before uh, all of the, the the modern riding gear and running gear and whatnot. And so a lot of the men and the women wore pantyhose and then uh, and then wore the Levi's over them. And a lot of them would cut the Levi's off. So they were Levi's cut off shorts uh, with pantyhose to keep the, the chafing down. Uh, and, and some of those races had um, 50, 60, 70, maybe even 100 or more start uh, people starting and and they did do a shotgun start and they always had to plan it in a huge huge field because if you've got 200 horses or not or not 200 horses a galloping across a field and you gotta have room for for all that and the runners coming behind now it has it has levi's gave it up uh late 70s early 80s decided they it, it had served its its uh time for them and we founded the ride and tie association and then the sport has changed and evolved some over the years levi's only offered one race a year and they only offered the big purse uh that one time a year now it, it's like a lot of the the ultra runs or whatever that that your other listeners are, are familiar with you know you're doing all this for a t-shirt you know these days um and uh, and and so it, but when we don't have quite as many you have to you, you can't just throw your running shoes in the car and drive to the, the start. You've got to plan to camp out overnight at the start place because you're going to go early in the morning. You got to take your horse and provide for a horse and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I would say a, a really good race now is going to have 20 or more teams in it, but it's very common for a race to have six or seven teams. Um, but even that can be so uh, wonderfully competitive. Uh, the last race I did was just about three or four weeks ago. It was in Orkney Springs, Virginia. Uh, it's, it's the one race we have a year that's a night race. So you start at, at about dusk and run, run into the night and they hang glow sticks in the trees. And you're, so you're following these, these glow sticks to, to be able to stay on, on course. Uh, and uh, then you come back in and we finished up, I guess, around 10 o'clock or so that evening. And then at 730 the next morning, you go back out and do the same course, but you do it in reverse. Uh, and so there's not a lot of, of recovery time. And um, 
And that one had seven teams, I think, both days. But but we all were so competitive. And we were leapfrogging back and forth, all both all night long and all the next day. Um, uh, at night, it, it's something else when you're, you're riding along and you kind of turn and look over your shoulder and you see the glow sticks behind you. And then one of them is bobbing up and down. And, you know, that's the headlight of somebody right behind you. And uh, uh, my brother-in-law fought hard for third place uh, that night. We had a team that we just kept leapfrogging back and forth. Uh, and, and, and talking about tactics, we got to about four tenths of a mile from the finish and it was it finished up on a long gravel road. And uh, and we decided to make one last switch. Uh, the team was not in sight, but we knew they had to be really close behind us. And so he was getting he, he was coming off the horse and I was going on the horse. And we just had a real fast conversation where I said, Mark, remember, you don't have to beat the horse. You just have to beat the runner. If I get I got I'll get the horse across the finish line first. And the other horse can pass you, so don't try to beat a horse. You <laughs> just beat the runner, um, and and of course uh, we did. But the the way it ends is all three heartbeats cross the finish line. When the last heartbeat comes across the finish line, that's when your time uh, ends. Um, and so, so that's a long way to answer that. But but even my point was six or seven teams can just be amazingly competitive. Um, and right. well, from my perspective, a hundred teams would be a little alarming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know horses horses yeah. are not uh, like little bunny rabbits right, right so is there ever been an incidence of someone getting hurt a runner getting hurt by a horse i oh yeah oh yeah um uh it, it's it's not common but it's not uncommon uh most often it's going to be the horse spooks uh for some reason and the runner gets thrown um, and you're in the woods and it's not uncommon to get thrown into a tree or whatever. Um, you also, I, I've, I've never, I've been thrown a number of times. Um, uh, and, and actually it's interesting. Uh, one of the piece of equipment that I always wear now is a hydration backpack because for some reason, when I come off a horse, I tend to land on my back and that's just like a little airbag back there. You know, I land on a, <laughs> sooner or later, I'm going to burst that water bladder, but that's okay. If it doesn't you know, break my back, that's, that's fine. Um, okay, but well, I'm feeling a little wimpy right about this stage <laughs> of the conversation, Courtney. I'm thinking uh, this ultra running stuff is like a tiptoe through the tulips compared <laughs> with riding high. <laughs> I but have to say, there is or... nothing like riding a horse, either a trot or a gallop, through the woods. Uh, um, uh, you're kind of having to. You have to watch your knees because if they get up too close to a tree, you, know, you got and you're steering them a little bit, but but you know, basically they're just, you know, they can follow a trail and it's not like a car where you have to, you're, you're controlling every single mo movement. Um, uh, you know, they, they're, they're steering themselves, but uh, there is nothing like cantering through the woods. I mean, it, it's, it's an adrenaline rush, a kind of a, you know, a, a, a thrill junkies rush because you're, you're not far from a pretty bad disaster and, and people have gotten seriously hurt on horseback, not to my knowledge in riding tie. Uh, but uh, but certainly uh, in endurance riding, people have gotten gotten seriously hurt. But but, you know, as some people say, I can I can die out there in, on the trail or I can die of a heart attack sitting on my couch. And if I got a choice, I'd rather be out there on the trail. <laughs> OK, well, Courtney, I think you're an outstanding spokesperson for Ride and Tie. Of course, I'm not sure if you've convinced people to try it or convinced uh -huh. people to not try it. Well, I think uh, the, the listeners will, will know. They'll, they'll hear what you're saying. They're going to think, wow, that's amazing. Or like, wow, I'm never going to do that. So let me tell you about the gateway drug into riding time. We started the, the Riding okay. Association, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, started uh, a, another form of riding time we call Equathon.
uh, and think about uh, triathlon, you know, but, but Equa being Equus horse. Uh, and Equathon is one person and one horse. It can be two, uh, but typically it's one person and one horse. And you would ride the horse out on a loop. So you might go 10 or 12 miles and come back in. And the horse doesn't have to clear the whole vet check. The horse just has to get its pulse down to whatever the pulse criteria is, 64, 60. And as soon as the horse hits that pulse criteria, the runner can go out. And so if, if, if I'm doing, we call it the iron equathon, if I'm doing it by myself, I would ride 12 miles or, or whatever, 15 miles, whatever the, the course is, uh, and then go out and run. And the run may be shorter. It may be the same course that you just did. Um, and then the way it really becomes the gateway drug, though, is if you have a really good rider and a really good runner. And so the rider rides the course and the runner runs the course. Uh, and, and, it, and yet they're a, they're a team and there's not nearly the, the level of, of strategy that there is in riding time. But it's a great introduction and, and it also gets incredibly competitive uh, sometimes. And so if some of your guys are in gals are thinking, well, I don't know about this riding the horse deal. Well, maybe if you have a friend that rides, you can start with Equathon and, and work your way up to riding time. There you go. Good suggestion. Well, we started off this conversation by noting that the history of people and horses goes back millennia. It's, it's quite different. It's a real thing. And so to compete with them, in a running race, you know, it's a trail race, whether you're on a horse or on foot, it's a trail race, mm -hmm. um, makes perfect sense. It has a real long history. And what you, I think you, well, I'll, you're, you're very um, articulate, Courtney. So I'll just kind of set you up on this one. Riding a horse is its own thing. This is not a bicycle at all. A bicycle is an inanimate object. It's a machine. It does only what you tell it to do and just what you tell it to do. No more, no less. A horse is not like that. A horse has its own personality, its own desires. And if you get a good riding tie horse, that horse wants to win. Mm -hmm. It wants to pass other horses. It's, mm -hmm. it's extremely competitive. And like you said, it'll run you right into a tree unless you're careful. So, this just fills in on this. This is not two people and a horse. This is like three entities. It's a three-part team. Absolutely. And every horse has its own personality. And we all know that with our pets, your dog or your cat or whatever. They all have their own personalities, too. My main horse that I have competed on, I've had the most success on, is named Coda. He's really named Dakota, but we, we shortened it to Coda. And he cannot stand to be behind other horses, whether we're just out for a, a leisurely trail ride or whether we're in the middle of a riding tie. Uh, he is just determined that he's going to be at the front of the pack. And I, I love, and I love that about him. Uh, and I tease and say that Coda comes up behind a horse and he finds a way to say to that horse, you decide how hard you want to work. You can walk, you can trot, you can canter, you can gallop, but you decide how hard you want to work to get past, but you are going to get past. Uh, and uh, there was a, actually, was, I guess two or three years ago, this same night ride that I was describing a few minutes ago, we were on that and it was, it was the daytime portion of the ride. And there was another horse that the runners were a lot faster than my partner and I were, but Coda was faster than their horse. And he was really keeping us in the race. 
and he trained that other horse. He would come up behind that other horse because we'd get back behind them. They'd get up ahead of us because the, the in the running kind of part. And, and I'd come up behind that other horse. And that horse just learned to step off the trail and stop, whether his rider told it to or not, because Coda was coming by. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's just inc- he's incredible about that. Now, horses are just like all other athletes. And Coda and I were at a, ho- at a race in Alabama. And um, one of my rules, our rules is we any bridge we come to, we walk because uh, you don't want the horse to slide off the bridge and, and they can get wet and slippery and that kind of thing. And Coda, it was early in the race and he had what we call race brain with the horse, which is where they just want to go, go, go. And I pulled him up to a walk, but he was still just hopping up and down. He was, he was moving at a walk pace, but he was hopping up and down. We got on that bridge and his back leg slipped out from under him. I thought we were going over the bridge. And he and he popped a couple of uh, suspensory tendons in his back leg, uh, which would be somewhat uh, equivalent to our Achilles tendon. Um, it's actually the same injury that Seabiscuit had. If you've seen the Seabiscuit movie that he had to come back from. Um, and so we've been rehabbing Coda now almost two years. We got him almost back ready and he had another problem in that same leg. And so uh, they are great athletes. But just like all of us, we got to train them. And, and make sure they're ready and able to, to do it. And injuries can happen to them just like they can happen to us. Courtney, that's brilliant. I'm inspired. I'm not sure if I want to do this myself, but I want to watch. I want uh-huh. this. This I think Ryan Ty could be in the Olympics. So there was, I saw um, a dressage in the Olympics yeah, briefly. Yeah. I'm going, hmm. Hmm. Not so sure about yep, this. This yep, looks yep. a little odd, but, but ride and tie. It's the real deal. These horses are amazing athletes. And so you got three entities just going for it. It is very common for uh, Biltmore. Uh, you've probably heard of the Biltmore house in Asheville. They have a, a, a race uh, every year and it's almost always, it used to always be on Kentucky Derby weekend. And I used to love to tease and say, yeah, those guys and they are athletes. I'm not 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 knocking them, but but they're going to go a mile and a quarter and I'm going to go 25 or 30 miles today on my who's the real equine athlete here. You know, (laughs) Um, and uh, and and dressage is that way. Dressage is unbelievable the way they can control those horses and that kind of thing. But but that would not be my sport. Uh, I've got to be out there moving. And and I love the fact that that with riding tight, it's a it's a long a, a term thing, an endurance kind of thing. Um, absolutely. Courtney, I thank you for your time. You've given us a brilliant introduction into this sport. Thank you very much. You are so welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, um, and I do hope some of you folks will uh, think about trying it. it. It's like, again, it is totally different than anything you've done before because you have these three entities. You've got a team that's made up of an animal and two people and um, and it, there's just nothing, nothing like it. Like I said, be careful because it's totally changed my life and might change yours as well. Courtney was a very articulate spokesperson for Ride and Tie. And now for part two of our theme this week, runners and horses, running and riding, but a different type of riding than biking. We have a person who's an extremely accomplished ultra runner, Miss Susie Kramer. Welcome to the podcast, Susie. Hi, Buzz. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Now, Courtney did Ride and Tie, which is his own bizarre event. It should be an Olympic event. They should do that instead of Greco-Roman wrestling, I think. <laughs> but our theme continues here because running and riding horses goes way back. And this is the dawn of the sport of ultra running because you do the infamous Tevis Cup 
and you did the Western States 100 this year. And that's the same event. It's the same course. And famously, Gordy Ansley did the Tevis Cup, which was the Western States 100. That's what it meant. They actually meant the horse race. He famously ran it and literally single-handedly invented the sport of 100-mile trail racing. It was a horse race. And now you have done that. You've done that actually a couple times. And this year you were in the top 10 at the Tevis Cup. And then you were at a pretty credible finish, although a tough day at Western States 100. So you do both of these. Yeah, I do both. Um, I was a runner before I was an endurance horseback rider. Um, so they, but I, you know, when I, when I moved to Arizona 12 years ago, I was introduced to the sport of endurance riding and I just instantly fell in love with it. So that's kind of how that came about. No, you did not ride horses prior to that? No, I rode horses in Pennsylvania. I had, um, uh, an off the track thoroughbred that I did some showing with, you know, little horse shows, just local things. I was not a, um, not a ranked, you know, I didn't do a, a circuit or anything like that, but I just basically a, a backyard friend. And when I moved to Arizona, I became a, um, I worked for a, a company that does, uh, trail rides. So I was a, I was a trail guide and the gentleman that I worked for had Arabians and he introduced me to, um, a woman who was an endurance rider, very well-known endurance rider. And she kind of took me under her wing and I began, doing endurance rides and I just fell in love with it because the two, like, as you said, are very similar, uh, the, the running and the riding. Um, and it was just a natural progression. So I, that's kind of how I got it. I got into it. Nice. Uh, yeah. well, you've done 10 hundred mile trail runs, a 200 miler. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're you know, extremely solid in States a number of times. And you just told me you've done an Ironman triathlon. Yeah, oh. back in 2018, I did my first and only Ironman triathlon. <laughs> That's a long day. It was a long day, yeah, yeah. So, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I had a, um, a good training partner and a coach, and I enjoyed it. But I, I kind of buried that one. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't enjoy riding uh, bikes on the road anymore. It's just it's a very scary world out there. You hear so many accidents and things, and. Uh, swimming was never my forte, but I got through it. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, well done. Thanks. Well, thanks. something we mentioned with Courtney mm -hmm. is people think, okay, you know, ride and run. They That normally means ride a bike, but of mm -hmm. course, in your case, that means ride a horse, which mm -hmm. goes way back, much further back than bicycles. Right. And the bicycle is an inanimate object. Correct. It's, it's just, it just sits there. It's just a piece of metal, frankly. The horse, completely different. If anyone thinks, and only a non-rider would think this, if anyone thinks you get on a horse and tell it what to do, you are wrong. You're <laughs> so absolutely you, you, right. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a partnership. There's there's two creatures out here doing the same thing. Right, right. And it's a definite, um, you're right. And, and they have a brain and they have, you know, sometimes they have their own ideas of what they want to do that day or what they're scared of that day. And um, you definitely um, develop a bond over a period of time with your horse and which I definitely have done with steel. He's just, he's my best friend. I love that horse. And um, 
we, we, we make a really good team and we have the same, it's almost like he, he just loves his job. He, he hits that trail and he knows the difference, whether we're going on a conditioning ride or if we're at a ride and he wants to be up front. And if there's someone in front of us, he he's okay with that as long as he keeps them in his view. And, um, we get, you know, when we're getting close, he's like, are we winning? Are we winning? And you can just feel it in him. It's, he's just got an incredible <laughs> energy. He's just a really, he's, you'll have to meet him someday. He's really cool. He's just a cool guy. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. But yes, there's, there's definitely, they are their own entity. Um, and they do have a brain, like I said, and they, they, um, you know, like I said, some days they, they are afraid of their shadow <laughs> and other days you can ride them through traffic and they don't think a thing of it. So it's always an interesting day. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. I like that. Well, people talk so poetically as you just did about that partnership mm. because it's, uh, yeah, it's two separate entities, mm -hmm. but with a bond that goes back millennia. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's a trust as well because he's trusting you that, you know, you're not going to put him in any sort of danger you know, that that's kind of horses are, you know, they're, they're flight animals and they get scared of something and boy, they're just going to take off. They're not fight animals, they're flight animals. And with the rider, you're trusting them, you know, with your life basically, because if they do freak out or dump you, you know, and take off, they could drag you or they could tramp on you. And, and you've got to have that trust in your, in your animal that, um, you know, that they're going to take care of you as well. And I've had those situations with him. <laughs> so yeah, it's, 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 it's just really neat. It's just, it's hard to describe. It's just kind of hard to describe. It is. Yeah. It is. Well, thanks for giving it a try there. I tried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you had, um, you did States this year, I should mm -hmm. say the running version mm -hmm. in 28 hours, about 33 minutes. You said it was a very, very hard year. You're kind of just going to get it done. It's a tough year. It was a tough year for me for a few reasons. I, um, first of all, you know, I had originally gotten in for two, for 2020 and with COVID, of course, everything was postponed a year. So for me, so for some people that might've been a great thing, you know, an extra year of training, you know, that kind of conditioning. Unfortunately, when you're my age, that's another year older and, you know, I'm not saying I'm ancient, but in, I'm in my mid fifties and, and, you know, wear and tear is taking place. And I think probably for me too, my mother passed away that year and um, which was, you know, one of those things too. But the biggest thing was 10 weeks before Western States um, steel decided to step on my foot and broke my toe. And I didn't realize that it was broken until almost six weeks before state. So I took a, two weeks off of, of, of running. Um, I did go get an x-ray and found out that I had a displaced fracture. And I actually just had the surgery last Tuesday, this Tuesday. So it's only three days old, but um, yeah. So I ran, I did most of my last few weeks of training with a broken toe and I ran the race with a broken toe and I ran and I did tennis with the broken toe, but I did it. <laughs> so it wasn't the end of the world, but that, those were that coupled with, the extreme heat, um, you know, it, it made for a difficult day. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. There's a theme developing here, which is that horse people are really tough and <laughs> make the pure ultra runner kind of wimpy by comparison. I don't think I would want to do Western States 100 with a broken toe. Yeah, it, it was painful. I mean, again, it was 10 weeks out and most of the pain or the, most of the severe pain was early on. 
And as you know, I developed scar tissue and a tolerance for the pain. Um, come race day, that was the least of my worries. It was again, it was more the heat, and um, you know, just the long day that we were all experiencing out there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was how long it took you to run it. How long did it take you to write it? Uh, just, just under sixteen hours. So fifteen. I think it was fifteen fifty-eight. So just under 16 hours. Now that doesn't include the two one hour holds we have in, in endurance riding. I'm, I'm most people don't know, don't know that entity of it, but depending on the length of the ride, you have mandatory holds with your horses. It could be a 30 minute, 45 minute or an hour, depending on the, the, the ride itself and the ride managers. And during that time um, you have to pass a vet check with your horse. So in other words, it's not like Hidalgo where you can run your horse into the ground. Um, they, they, they're very uh, adamant about making sure that your horse is healthy. Um, they have, you have to meet a, um, a heart rate, pulse rate criteria. And they also have to um, pass a general exam, meaning um, hydration, um, skin tent, you know, whether or not they're, they're staying hydrated, gut sounds. There's a host of, there's a whole list of things on your vet card that they have to pass in order for you to be let go back out on the trail after your whole time is up. So at a race of this distance, there's two mandatory one hour layovers. Correct. In, in Tevis. Yes. And then we also have, I believe maybe five other, uh, what they call gate and goes where you go in and the vet, you have to, you have to pulse down. Um, in the beginning of the ride, it's, you have to be at 60, your heart horse's heart rate has to be at 60 or below. And later in the race, it has to be at 64, or below. And that also includes at the finish line. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not an easy, I mean, and, and there was quite a few pulls at, at Tevis this year as well. That, although Tevis usually have, does have a high attrition rate, attrition rate because of, um, you know, lameness or, or metabolic issues with the horses. And sometimes it's a rider option where the rider isn't feeling good or isn't able to complete the ride for whatever reason. Hmm. I, yeah. That's very interesting. So you could be you know, winning, you could be oh. getting that finish line first. And suddenly they're going to say, actually, you didn't finish because your horse heart rate's got to get below 64. Oh, a lot of people get pulled at the finish line because their horse either doesn't meet criteria um, or is lame. Yeah. And that happens quite a bit. That it, Yeah. Unfortunately, that's sad. You can do, do a hundred mile ride and you don't get credit for it. Your horse doesn't get credit for it. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. But, but at, if you followed the ride at all, there were quite a few leaders ahead of us. Um, I came in, technically, we three of us came in second, third, and fourth. We, were, we rode together for the second half of, well, from Forest Hill on. Um, so, and Jeremy Reynolds was the winner, but there were several riders in front of him all day long. Like he kind of kept them in his, it's, it's kind of a strategy if you want to win the ride. And Jeremy's very, um, he, he's a very well-known and, and accomplished rider. And he was not in first place the whole day. And most of the riders that were in front of him got pulled. So during, wow. the ride, yeah, during the, towards the end of the ride. So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, it's not, you just don't jump on your horse and go ride a hundred miles. You've got to manage your horse. You've got to make sure they're eating and drinking and that they're, they're safe and, and sound and, and well cared for. So, yeah. Because a horse will run till it drops. Oh yeah. They, they don't know whether the finish line is in a mile or in 20 miles. They have no idea. So you as a rider, um, you know, you really have to know your horse and, and really just take care of them because that's what it's all about. It's them, not you. Now, at the running 
<laughs> the running part yeah. race. Of course, there are medical checkups, but they're much less extensive. Mainly, it's a weight check. Actually, they don't do them anymore. Oh, they quit? I, I didn't I even know that. I haven't had a weight check in... Actually, I've been running ultras now for quite some time, and I only ever remember getting weighed in at Bigfoot, but I don't remember having to get on a scale at the end of it or any time during. So... That I do remember that being a factor when I began um, ultra running back in the day, but I, I've not ever recently. They don't do it anymore. You're okay. on your own. Yeah, you're pretty much, you got to take care of yourself. And that's why we do pacers. That's why we get pacers at certain points. You know, they're the ones that are going to take care of, or your crew members are going to make sure that you're um, staying hydrated and things like that. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, well, here's the question, of course. I, comes to mind, but it seems like an easy answer. Which one is harder? <laughs> but I guess if one takes 28 hours, the other one takes 16. So I did a Facebook um, post just the other day about, because a lot of people have asked me, what's harder, the run of the race or the run of the ride? And and I said, you know, it's kind of a difficult thing. But for me, I, I feel as though the ride is more difficult, not necessarily physically, because physically, obviously, the run is more difficult for me. Um, but riding... Like you said, it's not, you're not just sitting on a horse, you know, you're riding and, and, you know, you've got to stay on that animal and, and everything. And um, so, but physically for me, I think the, the run is definitely more difficult riding. However, as I said, you're managing not only you and your health and you've got to stay hydrated and eat and alert, um, you know, because most hundred milers, you know, take up to 24 hours. You've also got to manage your animal and, and make sure that that, horse is healthy throughout that that hundred miles so yeah i i just in my opinion the ride is more difficult if you want to use that word more of a challenge okay it's better word for me yeah that's my opinion i don't know that everyone would agree but that's how i feel about it when i look at the list of people i don't think i don't think most people realize the crossover that's been present at this race uh Going back to inception, mm -hmm. for example, we were just talking with uh, Courtney Kruger about ride and tie mm -hmm. and looking at the world championship winners of ride and tie. And there's Jim Howard, Tom Johnson. These are people who have big names. Mark Rickman. These are big names at the run part of the race. Mm -hmm. So that part of California, there is terrific amount of crossover between endurance riding, ride and tie and endurance running. Yeah, Auburn is known as the endurance capital of the world. I mean, that's their sign when you, you know, come into town. And yeah, I think the ride and tie is not something I've tried yet. However, that is on my bucket list um, because my partner, Brad, and I are both runners and we he is now an endurance rider as well. And we've talked about, you know, maybe giving it a shot. And there is, you know, not only is the, you know, the, the, the run and the ride thing, you know, doing the double. There's also a list of people who have done the Tevis run or ride, the Western States 100 run and the national ride and tie championships. So that's on my bucket list. That's my next thing I want to try, but I've got to try a few shorter distances first to see if, you know, it's something that we really want to do, but we were deciding which horse we were going to do it with. It's not going to be steel. <laughs> 
but I don't, I, I don't think I could tie him to a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I was, he'd I was wait- go along. Yeah. He'd want to go along <laughs> with whoever left him there. So <laughs> yeah, I was waiting, waiting for that explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Courtney was telling us about those incredible horse personality types. Like you just mentioned steel. Yeah. And they're, mm-hmm. they have these different levels of competitiveness. Oh and, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I have three very different horses out in the yard, and um, Steel is by far my most competitive. Um, our second horse, his name is Quick. However, it's kind of the opposite. He's not so quick. He's kind of a slower. He could. Be, I mean, he's he's got the endurance. I mean, he could do it. He's just got that mindset. Like, why am I out here? I don't really want to. Know. <laughs> How far are we gonna go? When's the next calorie gonna be in my mouth? He's an eater. And then our newest addition, Jesse has the ability um, to be an incredible, and I think he's our next star. He's going to be a good a good horse, but he's had some health issues since we um, acquired him, so we're working on those. But he's got the mind like steel. He's going to be a fast one. So, yeah. <laughs> but so, so we decided quick would be our ride and tie because <laughs> he could stand under a tree and eat all day and he'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but of course, a competitive ride and tie, he's not staying there. Oh, he'll very- go. Yeah, he would go, and you just have to get him in the mindset that you got to go there's there's food at the end of the road so you know <laughs> well that's that's he's the ultra driven. running mentality I yeah, think there's no shortage of ultra runners who feel the same way right he's definitely food driven <laughs> <laughs> well so if if quick could uh was interested in drinking beer then, there you uh, go yeah wouldn't be a big difference here i might have to try that <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Endurance running, endurance riding, such a crossover, particularly there, Auburn. I mean, people need to realize the very first hundred mile trail race in the world grew out of a horse race. And it kind of still some of the main names, well, not so much the past five years, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but before that, a lot of the names did both. Right. Right. Again, I'm not really up on the history of all of that. Um, This was this idea for me to do both in the same year, just kind of blossomed. It wasn't, it wasn't like my main goal. Um, my main goal when I began, um, doing the endurance riding was to, of course, finish Tevis, which is not an easy task. And then to, at some point do Western States. So I just wanted a buckle in each, you know, or finish in each one. Um, it just happened that, um, the two coincided this time, you know, I was able to finally get in the run because as you know, the lottery, is kind of a crazy thing. And it took me six years to get in, um, uh, you know, six years of, of qualifying races and then finally getting chosen. And then I just happened to have, you know, steel was ready and can do Tevis and I knew he could. So it just kind of became this thing where, Ooh, let's do it in the same year. So it was, uh, yeah, it just kind of happened that way. So again, I'm not real up on, uh, the who's who of, of who's done this, and um, I didn't even really know that doing it in the same year was a thing until probably three or four weeks before I did it. So <laughs> I know, I know. Crazy. Yeah. So, well, it turns out uh, the Western States website, and actually we'll link to this in the written show notes, has a spot for the people who have done both. That just shows you how uh, connected they are. And come yeah. to think of it, just dawned on me the whole belt buckle thing yeah if anyone wonders why you get this giant belt buckle for finishing a hundred mile trail race it goes back to one place and one place only that's a cowboy belt buckle 
Yeah, they they do. They are very much like the ones you win for roping and you know all that cowboy stuff. Yeah. Um, again, you, we get them at fifty miles. They used to be you only got them at the hundred mile runs, you know. But now there's several fifty mile uh, endurance runs out there where they, they'll give you a buckle as well. And man, some buckles are amazing, gorgeous pieces of work, and some of them are kind of like, oh, hi, thanks, you know. But I have some beautiful buckles that steel and I have earned at local rides and, and, and hundred milers that are just not actually, they're not really, they're not hundred milers. They're, they're some of our local 50 milers and they are just stunning. They have turquoise in them and oh, they're just, it's not, it's a nice, it's just a nice thing to get um, that, that recognizes your accomplishment. It's just a cool thing. But unfortunately they sit in a box because <laughs> Some of them are too big to wear. <laughs> well, that's that, that was my observation decades yeah. ago. I thought, whoa, am I supposed to put this on? I'm not yeah. sure about that. I know because you don't want to scratch it or lose it. Or, but boy, they're pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and I like uh, what you said uh, that you and Steel won. You didn't say you. You said you and Steel. You were partners. Yeah, we are. I mean, obviously, I I couldn't have asked for a better course. I mean, I, and he kind of just fell into my lap. I wasn't even really, um, when I got into looking for an endurance horse, cause I always cut what I did, what they call catch riding and catch riding is when you ride someone else's horse, um, for them because they either have one or two or, or they can't ride for some reason. And I had gotten into catch riding and then I just decided that, Hey, you know, I want to do that too. I want to have my own horse. And so I convinced um, my then husband to allow me to get a horse and I bought him sight unseen. Um, it was a recommendation from a friend. And um, when he arrived, I really didn't like him a whole lot. He was kind of a knucklehead. And um, but I I got some help with his training and he turned out to be the best thing that ever happened. He's just he's a cool kid. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we are a team. We work together. I mean, there's days, you know, when you just want to let him go, you know, get out of here. But, you know, like when he steps on your foot, but, um, you know, he's just, I love him. He's just, he's just a really cool guy. So, yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yep. Again, uh, listeners might be trying to read into this. Do I want to do this or not? So part A is like, you have this partner with this amazing animal, this partnership mm -hmm. and part B, they just stepped on my foot. Yeah. So there's kind of, you know, there's two ways to read this conversation, isn't there? Yeah. But, you know, the usually when the horse steps on your foot, it's generally user error, meaning it was probably my fault that he did, um, which it was. I wasn't wearing a proper shoe in the barn and I was approaching him with a fly spray, you know, <laughs> get the fly spray and he didn't like it. And he did a turn and yeah, there it went. So, yeah. But, yeah, you know, accidents happen. I mean, you know, it's it's like, it's just another day, you know, you take it as it comes. It, he didn't kill me. So, you know, he also did break my hand way early when I owned him too. And I have a funky finger from that, but that again was just, he was young and, and we were at one of our first rides and it just kind of happened. So I don't, I don't, uh, how do I want to say, I don't, I don't hold it against him. <laughs> and I am again, concluding horse people are very tough. Yeah, I I would say yes, we are. Um, it, 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 in general, yeah, because it's a lot of hard work to own a horse. Um, first of all, it's a lot of money to own a horse too. Um, and and usually you don't see it coming. It's a vet bill, or you know, a trailer breaks down, or um, your horse, you know, like I said, the horse gets sick, and it's just and the daily maintenance, you know, 
their 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 trimming of their feet or shoeing if you're shoe, if you shoe your horses the the tack uh, the feed feeding a horse. I mean, my horses eat probably better than I do. They get mostly organic food, and and I monitor their diet very you know very strict with what they can and cannot have. And and yeah, so yeah, a lot of a lot of daily but toughness. Yeah, it's um yeah because you get stepped on or you get tossed or whatever they run you up against a tree accidentally or on purpose or a cactus and <laughs> you know but overall it's it's probably one of the most rewarding um i, I don't want to really want to call it a hobby but one of the most rewarding things i've i've done is is own horses i just love it i i, I don't think i'll ever not own a horse you know even when i'm old and gray <laughs> <laughs> Well, and when that happens, you can still ride a horse. Yes, hopefully. Yeah, maybe not at the level I'm riding at currently. But, uh, yeah, I think I'll always have a horse in the yard. Well, what is next for you, Susie? What is next? You know? That's oh, wait, big... I, Susie, something yes. we talked about, but we, we forgot to mention you. I'm sorry. That's okay. We, You were recommended to us by a person who just sent in a recommendation for a podcast. Hmm. Victoria mm -hmm. said, Susie Kramer, she's amazing. And Victoria suggested you have the fastest female time combining the Tevis and the running race. And we tried to figure this out. We were unable to. So we might put that in the written show notes, but okay. I yeah, want well listeners to know we take listener suggestions. <laughs> this is how the show happens. Yeah, we'll look that up. I honestly, again, I didn't know it was a thing. Um, I mean, I know the fastest known time is a big thing in the running community. Um, I don't know that it's real big in the uh, endurance riding community. I mean, I know we everyone looks at everybody's times and, you know, records for certain courses. But um, yeah, I, and I'm not on Strava, um, which is probably the thing that most that, you know, most people look at when they're um, investigating the fastest known times, but yeah, we can look it up. I, I honestly don't know. I have no idea. I guess it would be a combined time. And like I said, I know my run was not, it was about four hours slower than I expected. <laughs> uh, the ride was probably two hours faster than I expected. So um, yeah, who knows? It, would, it might be a cool thing. <laughs> and it might be. So we'll figure that out. We'll put that in the written show notes. And so I'll go back to my okay. final question. Pardon me. Mm. So what is uh, next for what you? Next? I mean, you've done a few things here. I'm, I cannot imagine. Well, the one thing I have on my horizon that's not riding related is a is an endurance run. It's It was new this year. It's the Cocodono 250. I don't know if you've mm, heard of it. Um, I have. Yeah, Jamil and uh, Aravipa um, put that on this year. And I was fortunate enough to um, crew and pace uh, a friend of mine from Texas who did quite well. And I ended up running over 90 miles of the course with her in, while I was pacing. Not at one time. It was broken up into into um, different you know, different areas. But um, definitely up my alley. It's a challenge. It's it. it, it I, it starts on a Monday and I think you have until Saturday to complete. Um, so that's kind of in my radar. I don't know. Some people think I'm crazy for trying, but um, I don't know. I don't know that I would do it competitively, meaning I don't know that I would be anywhere close to those elite young girls that are killing it out there. They're just amazing. But just to get the finish, I think that would be a cool thing since I've done a 200. Actually, I think I was one of the first – Arizonans to do a 200. I'm not quite sure on that one. Um, in 2017, um, well, actually, no, my friend Peter did it 
the same year I did it. He was also second. He, we both got second place at, at Bigfoot that year, but maybe the first female to do it. I don't know. But anyway, um, so, you know, you go to a 200 and I, well, what's next? Well, there's a 250. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'll be older. I don't know. I might try that. If not, um, as I stated earlier, I might give the ride and tie a try. Um, I don't know. I haven't looked to see. I know they do them in California. I don't know that we have any here in Arizona. I do know that the AERC, which is our, our um, you know, the, the, the people that put on all these rides or the, the governing committee, they are trying to promote um, the ride and ties at a lot of our local rides. So if we can get some of the ride managers to, you know, engage, um, that might be something to give a shot. So I think that would be a neat partner thing for Brad and I and our horses. So I'm all about that. So yeah, that could be you, it. You are. I, I look I, forward to seeing this. Thank you. And if you become the triple crown there, ride and ties, Tennis Cup mm. States. Uh, be sure to let us know. I will. Yeah, there, like I said, there's quite a list of, of, of people who have done it. I don't know their names off the top of my head, so I might be giving them a call and see, get some advice. <laughs> Thank you very much, Susie. Sure. Hope that foot heals well. Thank you. It's, it's on the mend.